0: What's up, Dolphin fans and welcome into the Thursday, April the 19th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host Travis Wingfield and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football and on today's show we have some tangible NFL news. In the midst of silly season and smoke and mirrors, it is schedule release day, one of my favorite days of the NFL calendar. For the off-season. anyway, we'll get you prepped for the official release tonight at 8 o'clock Eastern time and jump back on the mic for a late night episode to break down all things 2018 Miami Dolphins schedule. Also on today's show, we talk about the Mike Pouncey Departure. An updated mock draft via drafttech.com. And what exactly do the Dolphins have at the tight end position currently? All of that. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Minkfield NFL and follow the show at LockdownFins and check out the number one rated blog in the Lockdown Network, LockdownDolphins.com. We have tons of good content from for you guys from all the writers across the site right now. We're talking about doing a possible mock draft from the entire site, so keep an eye out for that leading up to Thursday's draft. And of course, last but not least, Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Lockdown Heat podcast for your NBA playoff action and Locked On NFL Draft podcast to get you ready for next Thursday's NFL Draft. We've got a busy show, so let's go ahead and get right into it. That's another Miami Dolphins. And on First Down here lockdown Locked On Dolphins podcast today, we are talking about the schedule release and just kind of getting you guys prepped for it off the jump. And what you can expect to see from me on Twitter all day today as well as on tonight's special edition of Locked On Dolphins Podcast. I'm going to jump back on the mic after everything is over. I'm going to write up an article about it, record the podcast, release it as soon as it is done. So if you guys are staying up late tonight, you can listen to that episode or just listen to it on your way to work tomorrow. However you guys normally do it. And I just wanted to talk about what it means to me both as a fan and as someone that covers the team. I've always loved schedule release day because it gives you actual Tangible evidence that the season is around the corner, that it is coming. We are almost past the player acquisition period. The roster has almost been completed. That'll happen next week at the draft, as well as with the undrafted free agents. And we get into OTAs, and we actually have a game to start talking about. And we'll also do a segment here on LockedOnDolphins.com, And I'll bring it to the podcast as well. And it's going to be called Know the Enemy. We're going to talk about all the 16 opponents for the Miami Dolphins next year. And I'll get into their coaching staff changes, roster overhaul talk about their schemes and what they do on defense, offense, how to attack them, how they're going to attack us, all that stuff, very in-depth detail stuff for you guys, even though those series kind of drag towards the end, I'm excited about that one because I haven't got a chance to watch a lot of other teams on the All-22 the last couple of months or so since, since I took over the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. So looking forward to that, we'll have that, but today's all about schedule release and just how important is this day actually for the Dolphins heading forward? Does it really mean anything in terms of how these games stack up? And I think it is. I, I I believe that the way the schedule makers do it has an impact on how your season goes. We talked a lot last season about the extensive travel, obviously losing that bye week early on, or I guess losing the bye week to week one because of the hurricane and losing that home opener. Now, the Dolphins made two requests last year. They wanted to have a home Their first game be at home and they wanted to have a late bye week. Those requests are in. We will find out if the NFL granted them those requests. So look for a late bye week in the season and possibly a home opener. Other things to look for are they on the road for Thursday night? That was the case each of the last three years, including a Saturday night road game. Those short week road games are very, very difficult to plan for. It accelerates your entire plan even more than it already is on a short week. Short weeks for other teams coming off Monday night games, maybe coming off of a Thursday game the like night before, so they had a long period of time, bye weeks coming off of long extended breaks. Is there a long travel ahead? Are they a West Coast team playing on the East Coast in the one o'clock time slot? Are they playing in possible trap scenarios? For instance, if the Patriots have a game with the Steelers and then they come back and play the Dolphins the next game, they may not be quite as focused up in that game because they just put out all their effort and kind of all their energy towards that previous game. These guys are human. That stuff does happen. Trap games are a real thing. And also it means something because, I don't know if you guys are doing this, but I kind of want to go to a game this year and it's not always feasible for me being up in the Pacific Northwest out in the Seattle area talking about going to Miami Dolphins games, but the fiance is on board for a Miami trip if they are home for the week of Thanksgiving. She is a school teacher, gets extended time off there. I get that time off as well. So could be a big boon for us there. And then potentially spots early in the season if the weather is nice. It's kind of a big deal to us too with some potential road trips with friends we have in places like Cincinnati and even the dreaded buffalo, which I don't know that I want to do that, but we'll talk about it when the schedule comes out. That happens tonight at 8 o'clock Eastern time, and I will be at my work desk all day. I requested to have the entire day within the office, not going out into the fields. My tweet deck is open. I'll be linking information as I get it. I have a source in the industry, a guy that works in the television industry, that has authorized me to share his leaked info ahead of time before anyone else gets it. So if you don't already do so, follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL for all the updates. I'll be keeping you guys freshly up to date on all that stuff as the schedule gets released today at 8 o'clock Eastern on ESPN and NFL Network. As I said earlier, we'll have a bonus episode for you guys tonight. As we'll go through the schedule, the entire episode will be dedicated to the 2018 schedule. We'll go game by game, break it down, the matchups, like I mentioned, the short weeks, all that stuff, as well as an article on LockedOnDolphins.com. And speaking of LockedOnDolphins.com, I have a column in the works right now about the current tight ends on the Dolphins roster, just how bad and bleak is it. We'll discuss that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. So I alluded to it on the other side of the show, talking about the tight end class the Dolphins currently are dealing with and what they could be looking at in the draft with a fairly loaded tight end class of rookies coming into the NFL. And I wanted to go back and look at what the Dolphins, what exactly do they have in terms of A.J. Derby, Marquise Gray, Thomas Duarte, and now Gavin Escobar. And I'm about halfway down with the piece, kind of trying to piece together things the Dolphins want to do at the position. I pulled up a quote from Ryan Tannehill back in 2016 during OTAs, I believe it was, and they talked about some of the things they wanted to do at the tight end position and what those guys are expected to do in terms of their roles in the offense. And they have a lot on their plate. And there's a lot of things you have to do to play tight end in this offense. And one of the things that I mentioned in the article is, the Adam Gaze is so prevalent in the 11 personnel set where you have one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. You often put the three receivers stacked to one side to the field side, which is going to be your far hash side. And you can have that tight end on the back side of the formation called the boundary where he can match up against a safety or a linebacker in one-on-one coverage, or he can face a bracket zone coverage and find a soft spot and sit down. And you can really expose matchups in that way if you have a tight end that's capable of doing a few things. One, in this offense, you're going to have to be able to seal the edge Edge and get the outside running lane sealed up for Kenyon Drake, Frank Gore, whoever else is going to be there. They want you to be able to do that. They want you to be able to pass protect and kind of offer some help to the tackle by chipping and making their job easier. They want you to run routes that are more than just tight end routes. Now, tight end routes are typically corners and flats where they start in line, take it to the flat, take it to the post corner, and just hope for an opening that way. But in this offense, they have to run receiver routes. They have to run whip routes. They have to run jerk routes. They have to run crossers, intermediate crossers. They have to cross the face of safeties and linebackers, all kinds of things where they have to show agility. A a whip route is where you basically fake one direction, come back the other. Something that Wes Welker ran a lot of. Jakeem Grant ran it in the Patriots game, the win on Monday Night Football. So check that out if you don't know what that is. But, The point is, in this offense, tight ends have to be very versatile, and they have to be able to move very well, but they also have to be able to block in line. So kind of going over that and the tight end prospects we have talked about, as pick 42 seems to be the sweet spot for those tight ends, whether you're talking about Mike Gusecki, Dallas Goddard, Hayden Hurst, Ian Thomas, Mark Andrews, whoever it might be, I think you can probably scratch Mike Gusecki off that list just because he is completely useless as an inside blocker. And they're going to want someone that can do that. You know, the whole detached piece, Julius Thomas was a detached piece, but he did line up in line quite often, and it was ugly quite often. They didn't have any success with him last year in getting open deep down the field. I posted a gif on Twitter yesterday showing his inability to separate downfield against one-on-one matchup with no over-the-top help and he kind of got pinned to the sidelines so he couldn't outrun him and he couldn't out physical the cornerback in that situation so he was a wash. Jordan Cameron not much better by his own right. He's more athletic, offers more in the passing game at least at that stage in their career but he was useless as a blocker always injured, dropped a lot of passes that one year in 2016. So the Dolphins' t- tight ends have just not been what Adam Gaze has had in the past because you go over Adam Gaze's history as a coach. He started off in Detroit under Mike March there with the Lions. He had Marcus Pollard, one of my favorite tight ends ever. He goes to San Francisco. They have Vernon Davis and Delaney Walker there. Goes to Denver, finds Julius Thomas before he became a corpse. And then in Chicago, he had Zach Miller and Martellus Bennett. And then now you're with Jordan Cameron and Julius Thomas and Deion Sims and Marquise Gray and Dominic Jones not the best array of options at that position so I kind of wanted to go back and look over the tight end group that they already have in house and just kind of review what these guys are capable of and what they saw in guys like AJ Derby who was picked up on November the 29th last year and then he comes in and gets some late action down the stretch in week 16, week 17 and they threw him a couple of of those Y-ISO plays that I talked about where you have the three receivers to the one side tied into the back side. That's called the Y-ISO. That position is the Y. You isolate him against a either a man corner, a man safety, a man linebacker, whatever the situation is, and you hope to get a good matchup there. And the Dolphins tried to take advantage of that in the Kansas City game, but the Chiefs put Marcus Peters on A.J. Derby, who basically just threw him out of the play. He he jammed him. He didn't let him get any separation on one of the plays. The, the ball went over his head because Jay Cutler threw it too high. And another play, I think it was a different corner on the other one, but the same thing happened. He was really bodied up. Cutler tries to go back shoulder. Derby couldn't get off the coverage and he couldn't haul in the one-handed catch. So in that regard, I don't think he's going to be beating any cornerbacks, which you hope that he can do with physicality. I don't think he can. I saw him do a good job sealing the edge in the running game on a couple of GIFs that I pulled on Twitter. And then also as a pass protector, staying in tight and getting the job done that well as well as a chip blocker. But I think you can see what they are hoping for with Derby in terms of being a matchup piece, a guy that could possibly maybe be a backup tight end or a guy that they bring into the game for 20 to 30 snaps a game as the number two tight end. I don't know. We'll see what happens with him. But I think they do have a plan for him. I'm just not sure if he's any better than Julius Thomas or Jordan Cameron, both in 2016 and 2017. And then you have Marquise Gray, who I haven't gotten into his workup yet on the article. It's about halfway done. I might have it finished up tonight. We'll see. could be a next week thing. We'll see. Either way, you guys will have it before the draft to get you prepped for the tight end position heading into the draft, but with Marquise Gray, you have a guy that really kind of excelled in 2016 as a run blocker, as kind of that wham blocker, the guy that comes across the formation, clears out the backside guard, and helps open up the backside running lane for a cutback for the running back in the zone running scheme, much like he did for Jay Ajayi so many times. And he was effective in that way. And he was also effective as kind of the flat route guy. We talked about that a lot. The play-action boot game where you have a tight end come across the formation, both on the flat level and the intermediate level and the deep route. He was pretty good in that flat level, catching the pass and getting upfield. Of course, he's a former quarterback at Minnesota in college. He had the one wrinkle of a trick play last year where he threw the pass from the backfield. He is a short yardage conversion guy, but they gave him that two-year contract and they reduced his snap since then, which I thought was pretty strange, especially with last year tight end group. Getting his snaps reduced was very, very odd to me. So we'll see if he has a place on this roster going forward, and if they have a plan for him there. I think he might actually be their H-back, fullback plan at that position, and I really hope to see that passing play come back out, because defenses are not expecting a tight end to pass the ball on them, and that formation was actually open. Gray just sailed the pass, so while it may not have worked because of execution, if it's open via the play call and design, I would go back to it just to see if he can hit it a second time. So we'll see if they put more wrinkles in that way. There were more wrinkles late in the season on the offense, but this tight end group is going to have to get much better, probably address it in the draft pretty high. I haven't gotten much of a look at Gavin Escobar yet or Thomas Duarte, who has very limited professional action so far. We'll get into that in the piece and kind of wrap up that whole piece. But this tight end group just really looks... It really looks like it's lacking. So we'll see if they can address the position early in the draft. I expect them to do that. I would say probably either Ian Thomas, Hayden Hurst, Dallas Goddard, or Mark Andrews will be the pick there. So we'll see what happens on draft night. But next, I wanted to talk about something that we talked about on the podcast yesterday with Ben Solak and talking about how he made a reference to the Dolphins being in a rebuilding mode. And one of the names he mentioned was Mike Pouncey as Talent Lost. And I just wanted to address this on the podcast real quick. Didn't want to do it with him just because that doesn't seem like the right place to do it. But can we just stop talking about Mike Pouncey being a big loss for the Miami Dolphins? I mean, the national media has picked up on this and keeps pointing to it as if he was some type of player that was a revelation on the offensive line. He finally played 16 games for the first time in five years and was below average as a player. He was a a good pass protector, but a really, really bad run blocker. Lots of bad penalties. The degenerative hips don't allow him to move very well anymore. If you get 16 games out of him, that would be a miracle again for back-to-back years. So it's just funny how the narrative is once a player leaves Miami, they become much better than they were previously. So the Mike Pounce thing really irked me in that way. I just want to stop seeing that everywhere. I posted about it on Twitter today. So I wanted to address it here for you guys real quick and talk about one more thing with how the offense we, we keep hearing about how there was a talent purge. The only real talent they lost in offense was Jarvis Landry, and I'm of the opinion that if you redistribute his targets to Jakeem Grant, I'm a big fan of Albert Wilson. Kenny Stills is a, is a complete stud in the slot, replacing Jarvis Landry there. Hopefully, Devontae Parker becomes more of a thought in the offense, who actually might get the fifth-year option extended to him which was reported today by Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post. Very interesting take there if the Dolphins go that route, but he has a lot to prove this year. Could be a potential breakout year for him. I know we keep talking about that, but this could be the year where it actually happens with a lot of money on the line for him and Devontae Parker. And then also Danny Amendola. We'll see what happens with him. But I think as a whole, you redistribute the ball production from those guys, you're going to get better production from the wide receivers. Kenyon Drake led the NFL the last five weeks of the season in rushing. Last year, when he took over the starting job, Ryan Tannehill is at least two times better than Jay Cutler was, if not three or four times better than Jay Cutler in his horrible 2017 season. So for me, the offense is greatly improved across the board. So the national per- perception of this team is just completely bunk. So I just wanted to address that on the podcast. But we have more to get to you on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast here. One more segment, including a mock draft, as well as some quarterback information for you guys. Locked Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown On Finns. If you guys haven't turned on a television or your Twitter timeline in the last, I don't know, month and a half, you wouldn't know by now that there has been a lot of trade-up speculation in regards to the Miami Dolphins going up and drafting their quarterback, and the new hot prospect out there seems to be Josh Rosen. Apparently the Dolphins are smitten by him and are looking to make a move up into the draft. I don't know that I buy it. The people that put out their sources aren't really the best resources for that type of thing so we keep hearing about it from unsubstantiated sources that are making these claims that just seem false to me and I I just don't really understand why the Dolphins would mortgage draft picks for this year's team when they have so much online in regards to Ryan Tannehill the coaching staff the front office has to win now to really kind of alleviate some outside pressure in terms of being on the hot seat so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to spend picks to go up and get a backup quarterback this year because The coaches spoke today. Every coach around the league did their pre-draft press conference which is a really pointless exercise I made a a comment on Twitter about how you could basically take those 32 transcripts shuffle them up like a deck of cards and then redistribute them across the coaches across the league and you could get the same results because they all say the exact same things it's all lip service they're not going to tell you anything so any scoopage you're hearing especially scoopage of guys that can't reveal the scoopage until after it happens that's a big red flag to me just take it with a grain of salt don't put too much into it wait for next week when the draft actually happens and we have actual tangible evidence of what the Dolphins have done and will do going forward but speaking of draft season I got a mock draft done that was flat out ridiculous on DraftTech.com. I am the Dolphins draft insider for DraftTech.com, and I went ahead and made some changes to my last grab list where you have the opportunity to put guys that you want to pick at certain spots. And I went back and looked at the draft board and saw where I could make some steals, and I did exactly that. So in the first round, I got Derwin James, the safety out of Florida State. He's going to come in and just fix this defense in terms of a couple of things right away, both as the run defense from nickel package, base defense passing game, Red zone defense, third and long defense. He is going to be the ultimate fix for the defense. In the second round, I got running back Sonny Michelle out of Georgia. Explosive game breaker. Can hit the big home run anytime he wants or anytime he touches the football. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, do everything for you in that way. In the third round, my favorite player in the entire draft, Shaquem Griffin, the one-handed monster. He is a pass rush dynamo. He is going to outwork everybody and set a great example in your building. In the fourth round, this is where it starts to get really unrealistic to me. Ian Thomas, the tight end just a physical beast. He can do things both as a route runner and inline blocker. And then quarterback Kyle Laletta, the Richmond product that has kind of caught the eye of a lot of scouts and draft Knicks around the world recently. And he'd be a great backup to Ryan Tannehill this year and possible future starter if things go awry. So the rest of the draft was, I didn't get a chance to really even have a say in those picks. Those were random picks for me. So I don't really care too much about it, but I knocked off some some huge team needs with some great players on those first couple of picks. So drafttech.com, you guys can see my comments on those players up there. Right now it's live as we are almost done with mock draft season. And that's going to do it for today's podcast, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. NFL. Follow the show, at LockdownFins. And follow our flagship show, at Lockdown NFL on both Facebook and Twitter. Check out the number one rated blog in the Lockdown Network, LockdownDolphins.com. You guys have a good rest of your day. We'll be back with you tonight for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins Podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.